You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. I feel like every episode should start with come on, I'm waiting for my you know what to load, but I I guess that's not quite appropriate. Well, I'm Sam. And I'm Alana, and you are listening to the podcast How to Be More Chill. Alana, you're always better at me than this, so can you tell everyone what How to Be More Chill is? Yes, I can, Sam. (laughs) Um, So... For all of you listening, you are probably fans of the musical Be More Chill. For people who are just tuning into this podcast for the first time, and for maybe the one person who might not know the miraculous journey of this show, this is a show that was never actually going to go to Broadway unless you, the fans, had made it happen. I mean, it's just a fact. When the original cast recording was dropped, suddenly millions and millions and millions of downloads and streams were happening all over the world. And the Broadway community paid attention. And for the first time, producers allowed a show to go to Broadway because the fans demanded it. And it was an incredible success. And, you know, you probably know the story. Ned Vizzini wrote the book. Joe Trace and Joe Iconis adapted it into this extraordinary musical, and you, the fans, and Sam and I, the super fans, could not get enough of it. And so the story of the journey of this show is what makes it all the more intriguing and so incredibly um, joyous. Never hung with a girl like you before. I don't know if you know. Alana and I chose to work together on this project thanks to Will Roland himself, Broadway's Jeremy here, who did a bit of matchmaking. Um, Alana has an incredible podcast called Little Known Facts. She's one of the best podcast hosts I've ever encountered in my life. Um, And I am a super fan turned producer of the show and even worked on the marketing team for Broadway. So Alana and I both agreed with Will that this would be a perfect fit, mostly because we are both at our core Be More Chill super fans ourselves. I don't know about you, Alana, but I even still get butterflies and like so excited when it's time to interview someone. Yep, it's the best. This isn't work. This is pure joy. So this is what we're going to call How to Be More Chill 4.0. Our first few episodes, which maybe one could consider 1.0, were recorded between Off-Broadway and Broadway. Those are so incredible. We highly recommend going back and listening to those. Then 2.0 was a batch of episodes we did during the Broadway run. Those were incredible because a lot of times it was interviewing cast members like between shows, like between a matinee and an evening show. And then since the pandemic started, we were able to do some video interviews. They're live on YouTube with some of the London cast members. Now we're in what we're going to call version 4.0, which is maybe we could call that looking back at the good old days when we could all be in a room together and and see live theater. Jeremy is in big bad trouble right now. So to kick off 4.0, we finally got the incredible Jason Sweet Tooth Williams at the mic. Jason played Mr. Here, Mr. Reyes, Gary Stockboy off-Broadway and then on Broadway, and he simply could not be a more integral part of the Be More Chill story. Joe Iconis was his best man at his wedding. So when we say integral, 
we mean integral. Plus, we finally find out why his name, in fact, is Jason Sweet Tooth Williams, which we've all wanted to know for a long time. And we have the scoop right here. Plus, he's literally one of the sweetest people we've ever met or have had the pleasure of talking to or working with. I love him so much. Jason Sweet Tooth Williams, let's do this. He'll need a dad so strong to help him not slip away. I haven't been a dad for so long, but I think I'm ready today. Situation is grave. Now's the time to be brave. Sam, he's here. We have Jason Sweet Tooth Williams on the How to Be More Chill podcast. How long have we been waiting? Years. Years. Literal years to Thank get you. the inside scoop from one of Be More Chill's most invaluable players, one of the most important characters in the Be More Chill story, Mr. Jason Sweet Tooth Williams. Hello. Hello, you both. Um, yeah, no, I've, I've wanted to be a part of this for years, so I'm so thrilled to be here. And I like hearing you say all the nice things about uh, me and my character, so I'm I was going to let you talk for the whole time just about how important I am, but uh, we can, <laughs> you, you can say in. some other can things I too if you want. No, there are only nice things because that's <laughs> the world of Be More Chill, obviously. But I have had a question for you since the very first time I met you. Uh, can you talk to me about your name? Yes. Um, Jason, no, just kidding. I know what you mean. Um, yes. Yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> Jason is no a classic uh, English name. Um, No, so Sweet Tooth um, is is my nickname. It is my equity name, Um, and it was a nickname that I I first got um, back like late in high school and and early in college. And at the time, I was very into um, spoken word and, and rap, and and so I had designs on doing that in a more serious way as I as I got older in life. And um, so Sweet Tooth was essentially my rap name. And um, it's, you know, it sort of followed me to college. And then when when my college friends found out about that, of course, they called me nothing else because they thought it was hilarious. And um, but it was cool. And it gave me the excuse <laughs> to like, you know, I I would like rap at parties for people. And, you know, it was like a cool thing. And um, or I thought it was cool. And uh, so when I when I moved to New York and I joined Actors Equity, um, you have to have, you know, a unique name to be in the union. And there was already a Jason Williams in the union. And so I, I was asked to change my name or alter my name. And uh, it was I'll never forget being like at the desk where you have to like, you know, pay your dues and all the things. And um, I said, you know, can I can I just say Jason Sweet Tooth Williams is my name? And the woman at the desk said, you can if you want to. And, uh, I said, yes, I want to. And, um, it's sort of stuck ever since. And I keep waiting for that time when it's like, you know, I'm going to be 40 this year. So I keep waiting for someone to be like, Hey, you're 40 now. Maybe you should like drop the old sweet tooth thing, but I just can't, I can't let it go. And, um, I'm going to stick with it. If you would have given me a list of, if someone would have given me a list of the possible reasons as to why you were called Sweet Tooth before I knew, which is right now, because it was your rap name would have been absolutely not my choice of like, that's probably what it is. That is amazing. And I cannot wait to tell everyone I know for the rest of my life that your name is Jason Sweet Tooth Williams because Sweet Tooth was your rap name. 
Well, and, and I'll to tell you, her credit, yeah, Jason, I asked Lauren Marcus about your name, uh, and Lauren said it is not mine to tell. Oh, well, that's very sweet. Yes, she was like, it's so good. And I just feel like Jason needs to tell you. So there you have it. A loyal oh, she, friend. Yeah, she's been guarding that secret for me. So I'm thrilled for that. I know. But this is a reveal. This is this is tea, people. And this yes. is, we're going viral. We can stop this right now. We already have what we need, Sam. I know. Anybody As needs a know. big Be More Chill and Jason Sweet Tooth Williams fan, you know, I've seen a lot of footage of you performing musical theater and Joey Kana songs. Is there footage out there anywhere of of the the spoken word rap version of Jason Sweet Tooth Williams? Um, I don't know that there there must be somewhere because I a few years well, many years ago now, I did a uh, sort of one one man show at the Lori Beachman Theater and uh it was called Hits from the Cookie Jar. And it was a lot, there was a lot of rap in it. There was a lot of musical theater, but I did, I did do some rapping in it. And uh, I can imagine that there's like so some kind of my name. footage. Yeah. So I'll have to dig that up. I'll see if I can find I it. Or if we're at a party again in, you know, in the next decade of our lives in person, I will, I will rap for you. Yeah. That's the deal. Yes. I love it. Um, so we love to always begin uh, our episodes and our, our interviews and, and, and you telling us how to be more chill by asking you one question, which is a difficult question for you, only because for a lot of people, this question has a clear start point. And for you, I think the uh, answer to the question is going to be much earlier than the, this question even uh, indicates. But our, our question is, when is the first time you heard the words be more chill? Um, the first time I heard those words were in the context of the musical. Um, I didn't know of the book prior to to working on the musical. Um, and actually, I was in a very early workshop of, of Be More Chill prior to its um, production at Two River Theater. So I was sort of privy to it, you know, in that way. Um, but it was like literally when I got the email from from Joe or, or whoever was casting that reading, um, saying here's this show called Be More Chill. And I hadn't, I knew nothing about it. And I didn't know anything about it really until um, until going into rehearsal. Although, you know, Joe and I are, are very close friends. And so he had mentioned that he was working on it, but the sort of material and the vibe of it was all was all new to me. And I just remember, you know, hearing the songs on that first day of, of rehearsal and just my mind being blown. I was like, oh my God, this is gonna be insanely huge. and when it when it wasn't huge right at the time that it happened, I was shocked and I was like, "This has to this this is going to blow up at some point." And of course, after the album came out and the whole story of of it of it going viral, it, it did. But just just hearing the music, I remember even being on break um, in during rehearsal, just already singing the songs like on my way to like get a glass of water or whatever. And and I just said to Joe like, "That's going to be the single, man. This is going to be the single that everyone's going to be singing." And I think I was actually talking about Halloween at the time, but um, but of course there's so many earworms in the show. Um, so that was my first real intro to be more chill. Awesome. And can you back us up a little bit to sort of the the introduction to Joe Iconis? I mean, it's no secret that you are not only Iconis and family, you are Iconis and immediate family. Um, very close friends with Joe and, and have been for quite 
a long time, as I understand it. So can you sort of give us the history of, of your friendship and relationship with Joe? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I love telling this story because I think it's a real testament to the concept of being in the right place at the right time, but also being in a place that you, that you put yourself in through your, um, through the work and that you put in, into your own, you know, furthering of your life. So I think it's like a little bit of luck and a little bit of um, not. So here's the story. Um, when I was 10 and I swear it, it goes, jumps more quickly from the 10 years old to my adult life. But when I was 10, <laughs> I was in a, a show at the Goodspeed Opera House. I was in um, Here's Love, the musical version of A Miracle on 34th Street. And because um, I grew up nearby. And so I was like the local kid that was in the show. Um, and cut to when I graduated from college, I, um, I reached out to the people at Goodspeed and I said, Hey, I'm moving to New York. I don't know anybody. I don't know like what, how to be an actor. Um, and wondering, is there anything happening at Goodspeed? Does anyone remember me from, you know, 15, 20 years ago? Um, and they said, yeah, we do remember you. Um, and we're doing, we happen to be doing this pilot program for this like recent college graduate thing. Um, would you like to be a part of it? And I, as a recent college grad, I said, yes. And so what it was, there were five actors that went to stay at Goodspeed for two weeks. And in the first week there was, um, uh, I think it was, um, I forget, they were working on a workshop of a show and, and we as, as the five actors would come help you know, work on the songs and, and take classes for like dancing and auditioning and all these things. And the second week of the program was coinc uh, coincided with the New York musical theater, NYU graduate musical theater writing program. Uh, they have a residency at Goodspeed Opera House as well. And that was the year that Joe was getting his master's. And um, so I was assigned randomly to sing uh, backups for um, rock and roll band, which is the opening number from the black suits. And um, I just sang backup for, you know, I met him one day at, at the rehearsal studio and we sang and it was fine. And afterwards he was like, Hey man, I, I like your voice. We should like hang out and sing sometime. And um, that's really terrible Joe Iconis impression, but the, the essence is there. Um, I, I disagree. I disagree. I thought it was essentially iconic. Yes. Um, and so essential iconic. Yes, say. exactly. Yes. Um, and so I did. We hung out one afternoon, and and that was kind of it. Like he went his separate way, I went my separate way, and um, I didn't hear from him again until they were did casting you together. That we afternoon. Did. That we afternoon. Did. What did like? What did you do? I don't remember. I think it was like we, I think he asked me to sing like the lead part from rock and roll band, which I like had quickly learned because I loved the song. Um, and that was it. I mean, yeah. it was like five minutes. It wasn't like a long, like hangout. Um, but I remember thinking that oh, he was okay. cool. Okay. And, I, and I was like, I want to, I want to know this guy, you know, he seemed cool. And uh, so like some months late, later, I got a call from NYU that they were casting the black suits as his thesis musical. And would I be in the, in the reading? And I was like, you know, shocked and thrilled. And I also knew nothing about how, what that program was or really, you know, I was so green to the whole, to the whole world of it all. And I had no idea that my uh, world would open up so much from that. And it really changed my life, not only my relationship with Joe, but I met so many amazing writers through that program in subsequent years and worked on so many shows that came from there. Um, so it really became my life in a huge way at the time. 
Um, but very quickly, Joe and I just became so close. You know, we were, I, I love looking back occasionally at like old emails when it's like, Hey, you know, we should get a drink sometime. And, and, you know, and then suddenly it was like, we were best friends. It happened so quickly. And I think we just both needed, needed each other in at that point in our lives. And, and luckily have still continued to need each other as we've become um, grown men. And, you know, he was the best man at my wedding. It's, it's like brothers, you know, in, in that sort of way. Um, so, yeah, it's been it's been like one of the most fulfilling personal and obviously professional relationships of my life. Amazing. So fast forward to the, the workshop production. Are, are you the first person who ever plays Mr. Here in, in that workshop production? The first person who ever brings yeah. that character to life on, in, a, in a musical context? Yeah, so it wasn't even a production. It was just it was just a two week sort of workshop in a in a rehearsal room, um, and yeah, I was. It was um, it was uh, he was you know Mister Here was largely the same, but there was a lot had been, has changed obviously over the years. Um, but it was hilarious, and I remember thinking that I was like I I was like I can't believe I'm playing a dad. Like I'm I'm a dad in this musical, and. Um, you know, I, it's sort of now what I do is play the, is play the dad kind of character in a lot of things, but it was, I remember it being the first time that I was doing that and, um, and, and sort of being like weirded out, but also like excited by that. Um, and, and, you know, getting to sing those songs. And there was actually a, there was a song that Mr. Here used to also sing, uh, called no pants is pants enough for me. And, uh, it was it was subsequently cut wow, from, from future. Yeah, maybe one day we'll do like a uh, you know a cut songs version of the show and and throw it back in there or something. Why? What was that? Tell us the the story of that song. So the story of that song was it was it was it was kind of Mister Here's introduction. Um, you know, he was there in that opening number in that opening sequence, coming and going, interacting with Jeremy. But when he when he first sort of had a scene with Jeremy, it was he was kind of came out and, you know, Jeremy was like, you know, dad, put your pants on. And it was this sort of like um, jaunty, uh, like three, four kind of like rollicking number. And uh, it was brief, but it was something like I hope Joe doesn't mind that I'm revealing this. But um, it was like, no pants is pants enough for me. Jeremy, can't you see? It's and then it goes on. That's that was like the main hook of the song, and so um, it, it didn't make the cut, but it was a lot of fun to sing for sure. It, it's so funny to me to think that there was probably parts in the process where Joe is thinking, "All right, we need to set it up that he is going to say I'm not wearing pants and have right. a whole song about it, so that the pants song later can be about actually putting them on, and then maybe realizing that, like, we, we, we see that he's not wearing pants, and so it makes sense that he's wearing yeah, the there, pants there's a lot of, um, later. Yeah, there's a lot of power in actually seeing a, a man with no pants on stage, and so it goes a long way, I think, in, in <laughs> setting up that plot point. And and I've realized as I've been asking you this that you know I basically referred to your character as as Mr. Here, but obviously the character is also um, Mr. Reyes. And I was just thinking as you were answering that question, like it it's just as big of a role in the sense of like stage time, right? Like, do you know the answer to that? Like, is Mr. Reyes on stage just as much as Mr. Here is, or more or less? Um, I mean, he might actually have more physical stage time because he, you know, he appears throughout the play in like the, in the play rehearsal moments. 
Um, and then in that whole final sequence where there's like the battle and he comes out and, you know, my script says I could go all the way to Broadway and all of that stuff is, is quite a good chunk of time. Um, so it's funny. Yeah. I don't, I, I consider him an equal part of my, of the, the, the role that I played in Be More Chill. And, and for that matter, I also kind of give Scary Stockboy a lot of weight because he, um, while he is a sort of more limited character uh, in, in terms of time, he's such a crucial, uh, you know, plot point character. And also I was, I really had so much fun just being like insane with that part. And um, there really was no, there was no too far with that part. And, um, and so it kind of, I wish you could have seen it in rehearsals because when I first started doing it, it was like, the most insane, you know, and just for purposes of like not destroying my voice and, and just not scaring the hell out of everybody in the theater. Um, it did kind of, you know, become a coalesced character, but, um, yeah, he, he's also a very important character to me and, you know, obviously peppered throughout, there's so many other little, little characters that I, that I played. And, um, you know, even in the final, um, version that ended up being on, on the stage in, 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 uh, previews there were other things that were happening too there was a lunch lady that i played um that made a very quick cross through with like a, a tray of peas and there was a, a teacher uh who ended up be being in the opening number yes in the opening number so so you would see dad you would see mr here and then you would see me as the bus driver driving the kids to school and then you would see me as mr reyes and then you would see me as um this lunch lady. And then there was another teacher, um, this like art teacher woman who I played who, uh, was so awesome. And I loved her, her costume was so beautiful and just like the most art teachery art teacher you've ever seen. Um, and just, it ended up being practically, it was just impossible to change, make the changes. You know, we had limited, um, wardrobe people who were like unbelievable and truly that show could not happen without the wardrobe crew that we had because everyone was, it was a marathon the entire time. There was no downtime for anybody in the show. And uh, especially the wardrobe people, it was just unbelievable to see. And I think it just came down to like, we, we've reached our capacity uh, for getting another piece of clothing onto this person at this time. Um, well, it sounds like they wanted like these Mrs. Doubtfire <laughs> level. Like yeah. that's a lot of women to play. Who are yeah. different women, and then you have to go back and be these two male characters. Yeah, absolutely. And the um, the art teacher woman, she had a full like Mrs. Doubtfire bodysuit that like gave her a figure, and she she wore this great like flowing sort of dress and a great wig. And there was a day actually we shot. Um, there's this other hidden character actually, if you don't mind me saying, is is um. After after Rich after the Halloween episode and Rich set, uh, um, song and Rich sets the fire and all that, prior to the pants song, Mister Here comes out and he's watching uh, television, and on the television is a news report about the fire and it's by this reporter who is another woman played by me, and so she um, we we shot that in this in a studio and she looks pretty awesome I think she's like wearing like a, a smart like suit and. Um, sort of beautiful wig and full beat and the whole thing. And, and so she gives the news report that, that you see on the, on the screen there. You know, you said earlier that as soon as you heard it, 
even before the actual rehearsal workshop that turns into Two River, that turns into Signature, that turns into Broadway, that you were like, this is going to be huge. It there, there was just this sense immediately that there was something about what Joe wrote and the word zeitgeist comes to mind in terms of him hitting on something so essential for so many people at the right time. All these things have to happen at the same time. And and then the obvious, you know, now it's like mythical, uh, the viralness of the the cast recording. When did you understand that your premonition had happened? Like the explosion of fantasy and reality, and now it's happening with your best friend and all these people you love, like which even that, like even more. Right. Um, so, you know, there was another actor who played Mr. Here in the Two River production named Paul Whitty, who was an amazing actor and, and very sweet guy. And he, at the time that um, the off-Broadway version of Be More Chill was coming out, was working on another project. And it just the stars aligned. And I remember um, before that even was a real thing, again, sitting with Joe, uh, we were getting drinks at a bar and... Um, he was like, you know, there's this crazy thing that's happening with that show, Be More Chill, that like it's become really popular on the Internet. And the album is like getting a lot of streams and kids are starting to like do fan art and it's like on Tumblr and all these things. And, and um, you know, I was like, oh, cool. I, I didn't really get a, a sense of the scope of what he was talking about. And I don't even know that he knew at the time um, what he the scope of it all. And then sort of the next time we hung out, he was like it's kind of, kind of going crazy. This, this be more chill thing is really, really blowing up. And so there started to be this like tingle in the air. I felt like where like be more chill was starting to enter the ether and starting to be just this part of my world and his world. And it was something we started like talking about all the time again. And, and I, I remember him being a little frustrated because he had a hard time, I think, convincing a lot of people that, the streams and the, and the sort of music, the internet love for the show could translate into a production of the show. I think it like sort of had never happened this way before. And so a lot of producers who are like smart, great producers were just like, I don't know what to do with this information that, you know, there's this, this viral album, which we, I guess we know what the word viral means, but we don't, we have no way of knowing how to like turn this into something. Um, and so Jerry uh, Gehring, who, who, ended up being the lead producer on the, on the, on the musical to his credit, I think really was like, I don't know what this is going to be either, but I want to like make this happen. Um, and, and had, had the faith to do it. But I remember, um, they, there was a production of be more chill prior to it being off Broadway that happened in New Jersey. Um, like a, you know, a local production and the original cast members from Be More Chill all were like invited to go see it. So they were like, oh, this is cool. They're doing that show Be More Chill that we did a couple of years ago. And apparently I, I wasn't there for it, but the, the scene there was like astronomical where they were just like mobbed by thousands of people. And they had to like close down the street with security. And they were just in this like town in New Jersey and everyone loved the show and was like singing along with the, as the production was happening. And they all said they were just sitting in their seats like, what is happening right now? This is insane. And so I think from that moment for Joe, especially it was like, this is a thing. Like I can tell that this is a thing. 
and cut to the first time that I ever walked out on stage for my entrance and be more chill, which is right at the top, you know, the, the, the crowd response was just deafening. I mean, it was, it felt like, you know, a lot of people say, Oh, it felt like I, it, we were the Beatles or something. It felt like that. It felt like these, these people were so excited to be witnessing this, to be hearing it live and to be a part of this thing that they had dreamed of, you know? And there's a great, um, a great part of this story too, where I think George, you know, who obviously has been so instrumental to getting it through its journey and, and all its next steps. Um, I remember him tweeting prior to it, to it even being announced that it was going to be off Broadway. Like, Hey, I would love to see be more chill live on a stage. Wouldn't you? And the tweet like went insane and everyone started retweeting it. And I think it was like kind of a big step for other people to see the sort of mass power that was behind this, this musical and the love for it. And really it never waned. I mean, you know, from that moment to, to the final closing show where like we could barely get the words out because everyone was just screaming so much. Um, it was the most rewarding, insane love fest that I could have ever imagined for a piece of theater, you know? And I like hearing stories of, of, um, you know, old, old theater pieces where they're like, it was, it was such a hit. It caused a riot in the streets, like some old story about like, you know, some, some 1930s play. Um, and I feel like this was that, you know, for, for this time and, and for these, for these people and, um, to be a part of it is I, you know, I pray that some, some things will be as exciting, but I feel like this is definitely a high watermark for, uh, my career and for, for that feeling. The, the thing that comes to my mind is this viral picture. I, I don't know who posted you or Jen or Joe. I think it's the three of you. And is it like the first preview on Broadway? And right after the curtain call, you're, you're right under that stage. And the embrace and the pride and the, the, that, that moment was finally there. And that's what I think of when I, when I hear you talk about that. Is that, that first, was it the first preview on Broadway? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm always jealous of the uh, hearing everyone talk about that first preview off Broadway, because I don't know if you know this, but um, first of all, it's important to know that like, you know, everyone we've interviewed brings up that first performance off Broadway. And I love hearing those stories. And Mm -hmm. I, along with several other other producers, couldn't get in. And the doors (laughs) at the Signature Theater are soundproof. And so we are sitting out there just so proud and excited and wanting so badly to go in the room. Even Jerry, the lead producer who like could not get a ticket to the show that he had produced. And there's this like picture I had someone take of the five of us trying to hear through the soundproof door, the screens from the opening number. I couldn't even hear it. Uh, and so, you know, I, I am very lucky to have had so many incredible experiences being a part of the show as well. That was the one moment that I'm always like, oh, I was so sad I wasn't in that room with you all uh, and hear those screens. But I was in the audience the next night and, and in fact, leading the screens on the second night. So I guess that counts. <laughs> nice. Are there any um, are there any significant mishaps that you recall from the Broadway run that might bring a smile to fans' faces as they listen to this? Um, sure, always. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there was there was one one day particularly that I will never forget that was toward the end of the run, actually, where there was a massive rainstorm outside. And um, the Lyceum, as many Broadway theaters are, is like super old and, uh, you know, full of holes. <laughs> and um, it, just, it just could not... It could not protect itself from this rainstorm. And so 
it started to leak in um, on the stage, but particularly backstage. And um, the, it, I mean, and when I say leak, I mean pour through the ceiling onto the deck. Everyone was throwing towels down. Um, Bertie, our stage manager, Bertie Michaels, was up in the in the booth, which is you know just just ten feet above from where the the actors are on deck. Um, had an umbrella, like literally covering the the board where she was. And um, we were all like, we should probably stop the show because they were like standing on, you know, this 120 year old building with like wires everywhere. It just feels like this is how people get electrocuted. And um, there's a scene, there's a moment in the show where I and George come down for the smartphone hour in these like smartphone um, things come down from the ceiling on the, on a, on a grid. And, um, I remember being like, I don't feel like this is safe. You guys, like, this is not the best time to like, try to see if it works as we're like dangling from this thing. And everyone reassured me. They said, it's fine. It's like going to be cool. Just, just, we're going to do it. We, we, we all talked about it. We feel like we can do it. So we did it. We came down, everything was fine. The very next scene is when Jason Tam comes down from, from the ceiling as well. And he's, he's like, in a sort of more glorious uh, squip outfit. And they were like, we can't do it. We can't, it's it's not safe to send Jason Tam down. I said, it's safe to send me and George down, but you're going to protect Jason Tam? <laughs> what is this? Um, but I think it was getting to the point where we were like, we have to stop the show and no one, and we didn't stop. We just kept going. And um, it was it was totally bizarre. And so there you know, was no backstage meeting. They didn't have a cast meeting where they were like, let's vote if this feels safe. It wasn't like that. They sent you I mean, out the show there. was happening. It was yeah. like we were like in the smartphone hour. It's like there was no time for a meeting. People were throwing on their costumes. I'm like looking on Twitter backstage being like, um, it is now raining on the stage of Frankie and Johnny and LeClaire de Lune, like literally in the <laughs> The apartment of that show and i'm like just trying to stay out of the way and be like but i need to let you know that this is happening it was wild you know you mentioned that it was really a sort of extraordinary thing for you to wrap your head around suddenly playing a father mm. on stage um except you have also since then well you become a father twice since that first moment of being cast as a dad what how do you feel like having your daughter, your first daughter at the time, um, wh what was that for you? Like to have your dream come true, to be a real dad in real life. Like, can you just talk about the emotion and the power of that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think power is is the exact word for it because there's something that, you know, you can always pretend to be playing something, but there's something to actually feel that sense of like wanting to protect somebody that you, that you are responsible for and that you love beyond any love that you knew existed. Um, I think it's just, you know, I, I think it definitely deepens um, Mr. Here as a character, um, but it also deepened the whole experience for me. You know, I, I, as I dreamed of being on, on Broadway when I was younger, I didn't really, I, I, I sort of had a very singular vision about it in that, like, this is my dream is to be on Broadway, but it becomes a bigger thing when, when it's like, my dream was also to be a dad. And my dream was to like, be a good father and, and be a husband. And, and it becomes this sort of big picture part of your life where the moment was so much more than I get to be on Broadway, which is like a huge thing for me and a huge accomplishment. 
but coupled with these other amazing things that were happening in my life, it, it just, it was a real sort of, you know, moment for me that, that I, that I think inspires me even now to, 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 you know, the responsibility that I feel for, for my family and for, you know, for delivering a show, like be more chill. It just, it just like the sense of responsibility, I think is, is the biggest, um, the biggest feeling I have for it. And, you know, the idea of um, loving something. Um, I, I, I always, I love my friends and I love Broadway and I love these things, but that sense, like I said, of having this deeper sense of love, um, I think it can only make everything that you do that much richer. Um, and so the experience was, was just, you know, beyond in that way for me. So it wasn't a very eloquent way to say it, but, but it just, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, the the whole thing is just more than I ever thought I would have in my life. And um, so to, to wake up every day and be like, I had this amazing experience while my daughter, you know, was coming to tech and like meeting all the people backstage and hanging out in my dressing room, you know, it was just, it was perfect. You know, there are very few people who had a, a full backstage pass and Mara had a full backstage pass lifetime. <laughs> when she was coming, I knew to clear the way, let her through. She was the VIP of the VIPs backstage. Yeah. Can I, I know Sam has a million questions, but I do want to just talk for a second about, you know, there's so much joy and pure hilariousness in Be More Chill. And obviously there's also a lot of darkness and there's sort of like these competing tones in some ways that Joe and Joe and the whole team kind of brilliantly found to to like synthesize so that it always felt even and balanced and not out of step. But Mr. Here has so much sadness to contend with for so much of this play. And mm. I, I'm wondering, sort of, did you come up with a backstory for yourself about what had happened in your marriage and sort of what what the steps were that led to the moment we met you in this piece? Yeah, absolutely. Um you know, I, I'll, I'll keep most of it for myself, but, but yeah, I think that for sure, um, the, the, the family history and the relationship with Mrs. Here, um, I think was not a good one and, um, did not end well, obviously for them as a, as a couple. Um, mm -hmm. but I think there's also something very telling that Jeremy lives with Mr. Here and not Mrs. Here. So I think that there's, um, right there's something that happened there too. You know, I have an idea in my mind, but where, um, you know, that's not usually or not typically the case. I, maybe it's changed now, but I, I always think of custody and how, how important it is for people to be with their mothers and all these, these stories that you hear, but um, that I, that I've never had to go through myself personally. Um, but yeah, so I think there's a lot going on there. And I think, there's also on top of that, just that thing of that, I think every parent goes through with a teenager of how the hell can I connect to my child? And the more that I try, it seems like the more we were separate and the more he thinks I'm trying too hard and he thinks I'm this like loser. And even if he doesn't um, really think I'm a loser, you know, when to feel like your son thinks you're a loser, I think is probably the one of the deepest cuts 
that a parent um, can feel um, be, because you've mm-hmm. you've spent your life taking care of them and, and doing everything you could uh, to make sure that they're happy and safe. Um, and so I think he is very sad. And that's why I think the pants song is such a great turn for him because uh, he it's it's actually less about being happy, I think, in that moment for him. And it's more about um, uh, finding his strength and finding his like spark again. And um, and I think that he needed that. And, you know, I think you're talking about the tone. I think that that song and that character could have very easily gone some some silly route. And, and even that song could have just been a sort of lark of, of a, of a moment. Um, but because we know that like Jeremy needs his dad and his dad needs Jeremy and, and, and we see the actual sadness going on there, there, there is so much happening. And also, you know, I think, I think to see um, jo- uh, Michael and I was going to call him George, but to see Michael and Mr. Here bonding in that way. And I, I'm familiar with that sort of relationship too, of like, you know, if you're buddy with your, with your friend's dad or like some, you know, it's a little awkward, but like they're cool with you. And, and, um, where suddenly the, the, uh, the student becomes the teacher kind of, and, and I think Michael really, you know, shakes him awake in, in, in a big way in that, in that moment. So it's a big moment for Michael too, I think. Um, and, but I also think, you know, you're talking about the tone, the dark and, and the light of it. I think even, even the, um, the sort when the school gets squipped, the play at the end and, and how sort of bizarre that all is and, you know, theoretically hilarious. Um, and it is, um, is also very, very disconcerting and scary. And, um, you know, when you, I think when you first see the, all the, um, the sort of squips, um, doing the, um, the pitiful children song, um, that is so terrifying. And they're all marching in unison and, and doing all this, like this face and everything. It's just, it feels militant and it feels aggressive and, and, and scary, you know, and, and I think times being what they are, I think it rings even more true now. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk just for a second about the fans of Be More Chill because, you know, the fans were obviously such a, a crucial and, and anchor for this show. And, you know, I always like to think about how like, you know, it always sounds so silly when people in like Oscar speeches are like, without my fans, I, you know, I, you're number one, you're who I'm doing this for. And I always think it sounds so silly. And for Be More Chill, it taught me that really is true. I mean, especially for this show. Um, I know that you had some wonderful experiences with, you know, specific fans and stage door experiences. Are there any that, that stand out to you that you could share with us that, that really uh, mean extra special, mean, uh, are extra special to you? Um, yeah, I mean, there were certain, there were certain fans that I actually came to know because they were, they would come to the show so often that I, we know, we knew each other by first names. And so it started to be someone that you like looked forward to seeing, you know, and, and, or when you saw them, you felt comforted. You're like, oh, they're here again. That's great. Um, and then even fans that, that didn't come see the show that night or whatever, but would come to the stage door and be part of that experience. Um, so that whole thing was, was, was kind of crazy, but a few, you know, they all also sent a lot of, um, artwork and letters and all these things. And that really is, is the stuff that I treasure the most because when you can read a person, tell you how much be more chill has meant to them. Um, and they, and the fact that anyone spends time drawing a picture of you, it's, it's an amazing thing. Like, you know, I can't imagine that somebody was thinking about the way 
my person as they were creating their own art. I think that's like the most humbling, flattering thing in the entire world. Um, and I kept all of that stuff. I have boxes in my in my um, closet of Be More Chill fan art and and posters and letters and buttons and uh, dolls that people made and, and just all kinds of things. And some that I'm still that I'm still in contact with that you know I have a friendship with now uh, that will message me and ask me for advice or a question. And, um, you know, the cool thing about the fact that this thing was born on the internet in so many ways is that it's sort of, it still lives on the internet and the relationships that, that came from it are still alive and bubbling as they always were, because there's no end to the internet, you know, and to that experience. Um, there were definitely some people that, you know, were able to come backstage and, and, and meet people and to see, I think to see some fans, um, experience that was, was really kind of amazing. Um, the sort of behind the scenes-ness of it all. I think if you think of something that you love more than anything in the world, and if you get to get this inside look at it, um, you know, the inner, the inner geek of you is just can't help but explode, you know? Um, so that was pretty amazing to see. And, you know, the people see the, the Michael in the bathroom bathtub backstage and, and, you know, the, the gingivitis Halloween costume and all these cool things. And actually there's a fan uh, named Marie who, who made me a be more, uh, a gingivitis head, like a huge paper mache head. Um, and gingivitis is that, you know, is that crazy white character that I played in the, in the Halloween sequence. And, um, it sat in the, in the green room like for most of the run of the show. Um, and so it was, you know, part of everyone's daily life. And I hope that she knows that it was so uh, important to everybody. As a young Broadway fan who got some of those experiences myself when I was 17 backstage at Rent, thanks to Anthony <laughs> Rapp and backstage at Your Good Man, Charlie Brown, getting to meet Broadway stars like Alana Levine and, and getting to take photos with them, uh, I can confirm that that stuff can quite literally change the course of people's lives. And I was so proud that we all got to kind of pass the torch on a little bit. That would be more chill and like, you know, it should be no surprise at all that anyone who actually did get to come backstage and have those experiences, I mean, it would just brighten up my entire soul and being and everyone's soul and being and, and there. And it, it's really great that you bring that up because I love nothing more than being a part of being able to help give um, some fans that experience. But it was such um, a testament to you guys because you're a, for a, for it was a small ensemble of people making that show. Um you made a big sound and a big statement and you all carried it on your backs eight shows a week. And vocally it was so challenging. And I go back and watch some of the YouTube rehearsal footage and seeing you guys learn the choreography. It's real choreography. It, this is Broadway choreography that you guys are doing. And the fact that not only did you do the show, not only did you do the stage door, not only did you make yourselves available on social media and really engage deeply, not only did you receive gifts, but like say thank you for the gifts and continue to do so. I think your cast really set a new standard for performer generosity in a way that did not happen before. And we'll see, we'll see if anyone can kind of have the energy that you guys had and sort of the way you encouraged people not just to come see your thing, but to make their own thing is really 
part of what made this show so remarkable. And when Sam and I talked about wanting to do this podcast as a way to continue to like have a community with the fans of the show, the cast and creatives, of course, but like to keep this unbelievably special community going. Um, it's been one of like our highest honors to be in some small part able to keep these connections happening and these stories going, especially what's been going on right now, but this will live forever and all time and the show will continue to happen all over the world forever. And you made that. Like, it's mind-blowing. Yeah, it is. It is um, insane to think about the that the sort of lasting impact of it, and and to forever be a part of this experience that that has meant so much to so many people around the world. And I think because we we all knew that this show w was on Broadway because of the of the fans, in in a unique way that had sort of never happened before. Um, it was completely um, you know right. fan motivated. And the energy behind from them and, you know, behind us from them was so real that I think we just felt this sense of gratitude for every fan that we would not have existed were it not for them and for their time and energy. And and also because the play deals with young people dealing with issues, there's a huge responsibility, I think, to to to, to show up when when, a, when an actual young person says, hey, I'm dealing with this. And can I talk to you about it? Because your character deals with your son's thing or, you know, there are so many, so many tricky things that, that teenagers especially go through that I think is, um, it's a big responsibility to, to hear that and, and want to live up to the expectation for them and give them some kind of guidance and um, a sounding board as well. And, you know, one of the things I'm most proud of too, is that the, there's so many um, trans members of the fan base. And I just love that they found in Be More Chill a place that they felt safe and a place that they felt um, a community. And I think especially, like I say, for young people, going through high school can be really tr tricky. And if you're, if you're coupling that with a huge life change and a huge self-actualization, it can be, you know, scary and downright depressing and, and hard to get through. So to be one sort of bright light for anyone going through an issue like that or, a, or a, an exciting time in their life like that, I think was a real special moment. Even when the show closed, both the Two River and the Broadway cast album, I mean, these are, this is just music that will live and live and live. And it's, it's really great that we have that to hold exactly. on to also. So Jason, can you tell us a little bit about that closing performance? Um, you know, as, as the guy who kind of is the goodbye song guy um, and was tasked with this incredibly important uh, beat on, on the closing performance, can you talk to us a little bit about uh, what, what that was like for you going through that closing performance and then having to lead the goodbye song with hundreds of your closest friends in this incredibly emotional moment? Yeah, you know, it was, um, it was, amazing and difficult um as you sort of suggest and and when we did a sort of run through of the song earlier that afternoon where all of the people that were on stage all the iconists and family extended members and 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 you know like you say 100 people um they all came to sort of run through the show in the afternoon or run through the number and i was so emotional i got through maybe like 
one verse of the of the song before I was a complete mess and just crying and and could not get through the song and I thought how the hell am I ever gonna uh sing this tonight after the you know after the show with everything I'll be feeling and and all of that and I just um I remember standing up there and just feeling this sense of of love around me and uh from from behind me and also coming from all the fans that were standing and singing along um that I just I was so calm about it suddenly and I'll never forget the sense where I took a breath there was one there was one moment where I was about to cry and I was about to like and I'm I'm the sort of person that when I start crying it's like I can't get it back and so I I was about it was about to happen and I was like no I have to get through the song um and I remember just like taking a breath in between words and and calming myself down in, in a way that was just like look at where you are like look at this moment that you're that you are sharing and experiencing and I suddenly felt like I have to get through the song right I, I I personally need to get through this song because this feeling is too special to let go by and not and not make it to the end you know um and you know there were there were definitely tears and I'm glad once we got to the sort of raucous end of it all that uh we were surrounded by so many voices because that was a time where I could let it out um but yeah getting through it was really hard and really special I can imagine. I, I, I remember my reaction later on at the party was explaining to Joe and or I think it was actually to Joe's brother, mom and dad. I was like, what's so wild about that is that that moment, especially by the end and the raucousness of it, it actually felt joyous and and optimistic, which is so strange because, you know, we're, we're dealing with kind of the opposite emotions of, oh, my gosh, the show is now closed and we're not performing on Broadway again. Um, and, and I think that that's obviously a testament to Joe's writing of that song, but also your performance and, and leading of it with that well, group. So know that I, Be More Chill fan, love, love, love thinking about that. I'm glad it's recorded. I still haven't watched it yet. My boyfriend Slade is always like, watching it. I'm like I, can't. I, I haven't been able to watch it either. And, um, you know, it, it's funny that you mentioned the joy at the end, because I think actually the trick of that song or the, the sort of genius of that song is it's not a sad song. There, there, it's a, it's a, it's a range of things that the song goes through, but the end of the song does feel like a celebration. Whoever it is that you're saying goodbye to, or whatever it is that you're feeling, at the end, it's a celebration of that person or that thing, and and so you can let the joy take over and let the sadness go. And when in other times that we've done it, I remember um, the director John Simpkins, who who I work with a lot and Joe works with all the time. Um, talking about that song and, and, and talking about how the end of that song actually feels like running through a field. And so it's not, it's not like angry. It's not like we're, we're, we're sad and we're, and we're upset. It's more like we're open and we are, we're just going to like take the world and, and, and run through this field together, you know? And so I think, I think that's right on. So yeah, kind of closing a door feels like opening it. Well, the song provides tremendous, I mean, every time you stand up there, I'm like, oh no, here I go. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, really, really, Mr. Williams. Um, let me get my tissues. Give me right. one second. And then there's a release, like this extraordinary release at the end. Um, and it makes you want to get up on your feet and dance. Like it's an amazing journey that that song can take you on every time. 
uh, not to be corny, but thank you for the amazing journey that you took us on today and such a like trip down memory lane. And so looking forward to getting to be in a room and hearing you perform live again soon. Um, before we let you go, uh, if you could just finish this sentence for us, which is be more chill is. Be more chill is momentous. Word. Word. Spoken word. <laughs> word up. Hi, Jason. <laughs> That's my first time crying on the pod. Everyone cries on the pod and I haven't yet. And that was the time I just did it. Uh, um, thank you so thanks. much. Uh, this was so extraordinary. And, and your fans and the show's fans and the world are getting to hear so many new things about something they thought they knew and you're just incredible. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No, thank you both. I, um, I don't get a chance to, to talk about be more chill much, um, with, or about anything with anybody because we're all so isolated. Um, <laughs> so thank you for the, for the trip down memory lane and, and reminding oh my myself that what a, what a special thing I got to be a part of. It's, it's important to remi remind yeah. yourself of. You did that. You did that. Hey, thanks for listening to How to Be More Chill. And if you have a moment, please drop a review of this podcast for us wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps more than you know. And don't forget to smash that subscribe button. How to Be More Chill has an official Instagram. Be sure to follow us there at How to Be More Chill. Alana, where can we find you on social media? On Twitter, you can find me at Alana Levine. And on Instagram, it's just Little Known Facts Podcast. And I'm at Yes Broadway on all the platforms. I'm Sam. And I'm Alana. And don't forget to reach out and tell us how to be more chill. I might still have voices in my head, but now they're just the normal kind. Voices in my head, but now they're the normal kind. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot -E 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 org because only together we rise.